that he was acting as a type of Christ, and that he was defending the people of God, that he was being an advocate, uh, pointing to the truth, pointing uh, out to God's enemies the truth of what God has done and what God is doing. And it was, it was a very good sermon. Now, I get to go and tear down what Rodney has done by going through the rest of Jephthah's life. But I'm not actually going to do that. But as we've learned throughout Judges, a hero is never the hero, and a type never actually lives up to the reality that it's pointing to. So let's uh, just pray as we begin our time together. I'll begin with an old Anglican prayer. Father, what we do not know, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, kindly make us for your son's sake. Amen. So a little disclaimer as we turn to Judges 11, verse 29. We usually go and read through straight through a passage, but what I'm going to do today is I'm going to, we're going to read it together. We're going to read verse by verse, bit by bit, so that we can experience the drama of this passage together. So let's begin uh, is in Judges chapter 11, verse 29, as I myself turn to it. So Judges 11, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. So again, just as a reminder, Jephthah is from the, the area of Gilead, and we see here, just the beginning, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. Jephthah is not a fake judge, he is a judge from the Lord, sent, anointed by the Lord to go and protect and fight for, for God's people here, we, we see here. Uh, and we see him just gaining momentum as he goes from town to town, likely picking up more people to fight with him, to fight for God's people, to fight to, to protect their land, uh, the land that God has given them. Uh, and it's, it's something very inspiring. Uh, and now as we go on to verse 29 with all this momentum, it says, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So in our day, when we see a new law that is very broad, we see a lot of the problems that come with that. Uh, often if a, a law is too broad, uh, then either there's two things that are going to happen. One, nothing's going to happen because no one wants to apply that law, or B, there is going to be a lot of unintended consequences. And we see a similar thing as we look at this vow that Jephthah here makes. Do you, do you see a, some problem in, in this vow? I'll read it again. He says, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. See, the problem in here is not that he made a vow, uh, because law, God's law does per- permit making vows. Now, Jesus complicates that a little bit as we get into the New Testament uh, in, the, in the fact that people were using vows to go and kind of say, like, I'm going to do this even though they really don't intend on doing it, and that uh, v- vows often meant, they, they often sprung from 
the, the desire to deceive anyways. Uh, but the, the idea of a vow is not something that is ungodly, especially of uh, some kind of devotion to the Lord. We see also in First Samuel, Hannah, who uh, doesn't, ha- doesn't have a child. She really wants a child, so she prays to God, like, if God, if you give me a child, he will be there to serve you. And that's how she gives birth to Samuel, who lives in the temple all of his days and is someone who greatly serves the Lord. So we see a good example of a vow there. So that, that's not the problem. Making a vow is, is not a problem in this situation. Uh, but, uh, but do you see what might be wrong here, where, where Jephthah might go wrong? In the heat of the moment, he is making a vow that he hasn't really thought through. Uh, furthermore, this is a, a vow that I would argue he doesn't have to make. He's filled with the Spirit of the Lord here, and he's been given the task that, to rescue God's people. God has said, you will go and rescue my people. He should have no reason to fear. But I wonder in our lives, or if you're in your life, if you feel like sometimes you need to convince God to do something. Do you feel like you have to bargain with God? Or that, and uh, in, in your mind, is, is God not for you unless you were doing certain deeds or rituals uh, to please him? Do you, do you not know that God is all-powerful and that he does as he pleases? Uh, a perfect example of this is that he had a plan he still has a plan, and in that plan, he sent his son Jesus to the world to save us from our sin, from the, the things that separate us from God, the things that we do uh, to displease him. And he came, Christ came and died in our place. He died the death that we deserved, and nothing in, in Jesus' life could, could get him off of that track. He was a lot like Jephthah in that he was straight off with a track. No temptation for, for glory or to avoid suffering could keep Jesus off of that track. Um, and uh, there was nothing could prevent God from dealing a death blow to death itself by raising Jesus from the dead. There was nothing stopping God's plan. No vows necessary. And now uh, God calls on you to, to turn from your sin and to trust Christ instead of trusting in, in your own salvation, in your own efforts. And if you are in Christ, you are working for his unstoppable plan. And if you feel like you have to bargain for something that you want to happen, then maybe you shouldn't want it that badly. Maybe that's not something that you should be going for. Maybe that's something you should be able to take contently that you, God does not want that for you. And it's something that uh, is not, not something that you really should have, even if you think you should. God wants you to trust him that he's going to provide what you need for his ultimate glory and your ultimate happiness. Maybe not in the happiness that you think you want, but in a true, deep happiness. Uh, there was a place for vows, and there, there still might be, uh, but vows were always uh, to be made after someone who has thought through them carefully and understood the purpose God has in the situation. But let's see what Jephthah will end up doing uh, through in the battle. So going to verse uh, 32, it says, So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from error to the neighbor, neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities, and as far as Abel Karamim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. So Jephthah is victorious here. It, he, he defeats the Ammonites. He gets them out of the land. He has a very great campaign, at least 20 cities going and uh, taken over, uh, taken back for Israel. And it seems that God has listened to him. Uh, and let's see what happens, though, as, as Jephthah gets home from this victorious campaign. Is he going to remember the vow? What, how is he going to have to fulfill this vow? It says in uh, verse 34, Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, 
And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. And it sounds a little redundant, but it says again to just really make you realize the poignancy of this, that it says, besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. This is, this is a very, <laughs> we really need to see how, how terrible this was uh, for, for them. The, the author is really trying to set up the drama here that we go and, and see. He comes back, and, and we know the, the vow that Jephthah's had to make, that he's made. He's got to sacrifice whatever comes out of his house first. And it's his, not just his daughter, which is a terrible thing if he had to sacrifice one of his child, but his only child, uh, the, the child that he loves, the child that could in some way you know, pass on uh, what his legacy. Uh, and now there's a big decision. Um, and we'll see, it, let's see in verse 35 what, what his daughter says. As soon as... As soon as he saw her, he, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. Jephthah immediately knows what he has done and what he has to do uh, in his mind uh, based on his vow, uh, which is very devastating for him, you can tell. Uh, and to, to his credit, he is very devoted to the Lord and that he realizes right away he is not trying to make any excuses. He's like, sorry, daughter, you have to, I have to sacrifice you. And, and she goes on. Her, her reaction is pretty astounding, uh, pretty faith-filled in, it, in its own way. Uh, in in very, verse 36, it says, And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she's saying, because you, you made this vow and God gave you what you asked for, I get it. You have to do this. Uh, and so uh, she said to her father, let this, this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months, then I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity. And I and my companions. So she's basically saying, let me mourn that I'm not going to have a full life. I'm not going to have any Mother's Days. I'm not going to have all these things that I've desired all my life, that you probably desired for me all my life, all my friends have desired for me. Uh, and so she asks for this, for this time to mourn uh, for to all the things that she, she wanted to have. Uh, so he said, go. Then he went, sent, sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. So, we see this passage, and we have a lot of questions. I assume you have a lot of questions. A lot of you, this is probably the first time you're hearing this, and you're like, what is going on here? I thought Judges was crazy, and now it's getting crazier. Uh, but let's just go through a couple questions. We can't get to all of them right now, but first, uh, did he have to give her up as a sacrifice, or, or did he actually give her up as a sacrifice? Uh, some people, some commentators, some interpreters of Scripture, especially starting in the 1300s, have said no. What is actually happening here is that he is devoting her to service, kind of like we, we see in 1 Samuel, where Samuel goes and serves in the temple all of his life instead of living with Hannah, uh, his mother. And so that's, that's what a lot of people think. And there's some merit to that, but I, I think that the history is on the side of the view that he did actually offer her up as a burnt offering. 
as he, I mean, as you look at the text, his vow is, I will offer you, I will offer up whatever comes out of my door, the first thing to meet me, as a, as a burnt offering. And then you see, jump down to verse 39, and he said, he, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. And it, it just seems to me that the, the best, the most plain way to read the, this uh, word is that he did offer her up as, as a burnt offering. Uh, and the, the, his, the history is on this side, too, even as you, you look at Christian commentators, even as you look at Jewish commentators uh, in the, the times between Testaments, where one commentary actually says that Jephthah was punished for not uh, getting the vow annulled, without, whatever the process was, without, he, he was punished for not going through that process, to ch- at least try to get the vow not have to follow, go through with that vow. And he, it says he was punished with a disease that made his limbs decompose off his body, which we probably didn't happen, uh, but, but maybe it did. But that it, suffice it to say that interpreters throughout the centuries have viewed this thing uh, to actually happen, to, for her to actually be sacrificed, as tragic as it is, that that is what most people have believed. Another question we can ask is, why did Jephthah do this? Uh, we might ask why Jephthah made this vow in the first place, or why did he not try to find a way to not kill her? Uh, it seems that here Jephthah suffers from the same thing as the Corinthian church did in their confusion over the resurrection. In chapter 15, in that famous passage, uh, Paul says to them, uh, For some of you have no knowledge of God. I say it is to your shame. Uh, and in an ironic twist, Jephthah, uh, in, even though he knows the history of Israel very well, as we saw with, with Rodney, he doesn't seem to have a personal knowledge of God that well. He doesn't seem to know the whole counsel of God. He knows that God is, is all-powerful. He knows what God has done for Israel. But he doesn't know uh, just the simple commands that God says, you shall not make your child pass through the fire. Uh, that's a, one of his, the biggest things, and it comes up again and again over the prophets, where it, while God is very clear, don't renege on your vows, he also does say, don't sacrifice your child. And it's kind of ironic because one of the gods of the Ammonites is Moloch, who was the god who desired child sacrifices. So in Jephthah's defeat of the Ammonites, he actually becomes like the Ammonites. And that coincides with the theme that we've been seeing over and over again in Judges. Not only is Israel just becoming more immoral uh, throughout the book, but it's also becoming more and more like the people of the land. It's becoming harder and harder to distinguish between the leaders of Israel and the leaders of the, uh, the Ammonites and the other people. Uh, and that, that, is, that is something that is, should be mourned. Um, and finally, we come to the, the question, should he have made the sacrifice? I, I from reading scripture, uh, I, th- I think this is a very hard question but I believe that he, he should have not done it. Uh, from what we've said before, that there, there are multiple commands, and this is something that you'll have to face throughout the Christian life. You'll have to face a tough choice where you're like, well, I feel like the Bible says I should do this, and, but it also says I shouldn't do this, and it feels like these two verses are going against each other. But in reality, that, that is what we have each other for, brothers and sisters. When we have these confusing questions where we feel like I can't, I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm, my hands are tied. I know what to do. That's what the church is for because Scripture does not contradict itself. Scripture is there. Scripture is 
there for every good thing, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Uh, and Scripture is clear. There are confusing parts, but Scripture is there to guide us, and it, it is there to help us, and we are here to help remind each other of Scripture, to r- remind each other of the ways that God has, has asked us to please Him, uh, to remind us of who God, each other, who, of who God is. Uh, and so I, I would only uh, wonder what Israel would be like if they lived more that way, if they lived in their community that way, where they were continually reminding each other to know the Lord uh, and reminding each other of God's whole counsel on uh, who he is. So in the end, what are we supposed to make of Jephthah? What are we supposed to make of his legacy? Uh, well, it helps a little bit. The New Testament always helps. And the New Testament helps specifically here in Hebrews 11, that famous chapter, the Hall of Faith. Jephthah actually makes it into there. Uh, we, we usually think of uh, the people like Abraham and David, who are like people who are like real heroes who we really love. And then we remember that also they sin, just like Jephthah has, has messed up too. Uh, Jephthah had a great victory. God gave victory to the Ammonites through Jephthah, despite this tragedy. Uh, and the author of Judges is really giving us a view of what happened in Israel uh, before there was a king. That's, that's what the purpose of Judges is. Uh, there's very little commentary. So that's why we have so many questions as we come to this. Uh, we, we have to form judgments based on the results of each action and based on the, all of God's word as we, as we look at Judges. So that's why there's, there's a lot of discussion go around this. There's a lot of confusing things about this, but we're not left without a good guide. Uh, Jephthah is like us all, simultaneously justified and a sinner. But isn't it great that we get eventually to Jesus and we find someone whose motives and whose actions we don't have to question at all? We can trust Jesus' life as a model, yes, but more importantly, we can also trust Jesus today to save us, to care for us, to give us everything we need to serve God. We don't have to question that uh, we don't have to question what he's doing in our lives right now. Uh, we don't have to question what he's doing in our lives when things are going seemingly terrible. We can trust him. We can trust him every day. And he is the good shepherd. Now, this story is a sad story. It's a confusing one, too. And we see things that we can happy, be happy about, the is victory for Israel, and things that, we, that make us pretty concerned. Uh, there's faith on the part of Jephthah, and especially on the part of his daughter, but there's also a lot of mis- mistakes based after a lack of knowledge and some seemingly foolish decisions. You probably have a lot more questions, but we can rest for right now and forever, though, in the fact that God's purpose will stand even in the death of an only child. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good to us, uh, and... You are so good even when we come and we read the Old Testament and we see things that we did not think were in the, was in it. Uh, we, we, we see things that we did not think were possible for God's people to do. Uh, and we, we question. We have, we have a lot of questions. We, we long for the simplicity of John 3.16. Uh, it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not, have, should not perish but have everlasting life. And we just want to stick there. But God, we thank you that you have given us this other word to, to help us understand you, to help us understand humanity, to help us uh, just greater appreciate your love for us. That uh, even with people like Jephthah, even with people like David, even with people like us, you sent your son 
to die for us. And we pray that we would trust him, we would trust you, God, with everything uh, for this life and for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.